Welcome to Shutter Count, episode number three. I am your host, Stephen Ababio, and I have with me Sean Hall from Team Hall Photography. And today we'll be doing episode number three. Um, last week we had to break the break the episode down because uh, it was longer than an hour. We're still learning podcast. And also, I know I did... Um, scare some of you while you were listening i had a shift in my bass that was from uh, vocal fatigue so my va- my voice gets deeper whenever i'm tired so it kind of became you know like a barry white i think so we do apologize for that but today we are going to touch on something very important in photography and that has to do with the basics uh, we're going to touch on um, why it's important to get a hold of the basics uh, those are the foundation that will get your photography going. Yeah, I, th- I think something else good to mention is that the first time we recorded an episode, um, we were we were sitting miles apart, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. And, and and now, so now uh, today, I'm I'm actually uh, here visiting Steve, um, and we're both in the same room. I think it should make the conversation uh, a lot easier, to, you know, when you see the person that you're talking to. Um, not saying that'll be a regular part of the show, but this is a special treat. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I'm glad we, we were able to, you know, Sean said he was coming over and I said, wow, we have to get together and record this. So it's going to make a, um, a much better podcast today. Uh, so, like I said, we're going to touch on the basics. And one thing I'm sure Sean will agree with me is anytime they see, anytime uh, someone sees a really... Um, impressive photo uh the first thing they say is what kind of camera do you use and uh, most people tend to focus on the camera and not the man and so we're going to touch on why it's important you improve as a photographer rather than relying heavily on the camera is this something i'm sure sean you agree with me on oh that's right of course um i i know in the last episode i i mentioned uh looking at um 500 px and um, I use 500px a lot because, yeah, I was trying to understand what sort of uh, what sort of camera do I want to go with, uh, you know, when I was uh, doing camera shopping. But it also shows you the, the skills of the photographer that is there. And it, it made me realize, you know, I need to work on, you know, my own craft and understanding uh, my gear and how, and how to get the results that I want. Exactly, yes. Um, yeah, it's important to... Um Really, because in photography, it goes beyond just the camera. The camera is a tool; it helps, That's right. but it's it's the kind of mind frame you have, the attitude, mm-hmm. um, the passion you have. All of that will help you to make that impressive photography. Um, so, so we want to highlight that it's it's very important you get a good camera. But again, camera will only take you far. Right, uh, and, and I was thinking, um, you know, for this discussion. Um, we want to talk about the gear. Uh, we're going to mention the camera, but only as far as um, if you shoot Fuji, if you shoot Nikon, if you shoot Canon, then you should get familiar um, with the with the camera. You should get familiar with its settings. Uh, we're going to come at this as far as like, hey, I'm new. To, if if I'm new to photography, what things should I focus on? And so you should actually know. Like, and I have my camera in my lap as I'm talking. Um, and, you know, when you look down at the buttons and dials, you should have a, a understanding of, of what they do. Um, from the standpoint, again, I mean, I shoot Nikon. 
and um, there are, there are a lot of buttons. The, the way they uh, designed the camera, they designed it in a way that's supposed to make the photography easy for you when you're actually in the middle of it, right? If they've done their job, right? And uh, what I realized, me learning some of the buttons um, while I'm shooting, and I'm not talking. I'm going. I'm talking about beyond taking it from the auto setting or manual setting or shutter priority or or aperture priority, but even when you're in those modes. Uh, there are buttons along the back that you can push while your eye is looking into the viewfinder um, to change certain settings, right? You could, you still have control of these shutter speeds. Um, you can control the um, ISO and understanding what those numbers mean and what sort of exposure you get. I think that's important. Exactly. And, and Sean, Sean brought out a good point. If you can put your eye in the viewfinder, and be able to touch certain buttons without taking your eye off. Now, that is someone who knows their camera very well. Uh, something that we want to really emphasize on because uh, many people pick up the camera, they open the box, and the, one of the first things they throw away is the manual. They don't take the time to read the manual. Yeah, it may look a little thick and scary, but it's important to take the time, read the manual. If the manual is intimidating, what I did, like I said in the uh, previous uh, episodes, I bought an ebook that touched on that particular model. They have many ebooks on for different models and take the time and really get to know your camera very well. Each button, what does it do? And and, and once you get familiar with that but with the buttons, then you can comfortably move from the auto to the manual mode or you know, sometimes aperture priority or shutter priority. But you can move into those other modes rather than relying on the auto because uh, I'm sure you agree with me, Sean. Auto, the camera is thinking for you. That's right. You know, and the camera is on you. It's not. It's not a human being. No. It, it's not seeing what your eye sees. So you have to. You know, one 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 day I was on Instagram and I saw uh, this photographer who came out with a, a picture and somebody said, "Nice camera," and then she, and then she said, um, and, and, and there was a caption on the photo where she said, uh, "Yes, I I trained it to become." Uh, you know that good so you have to train your camera you have to tell your camera what your eye is seeing and what kind of photo what you want it to take not the other way around well the camera is guessing oh i think you know i should expose for this or that so uh, the first point is really take the time to get to know your camera and um that's something that every beginner should do and we're going to touch on the uh, very important uh technical aspect in photography for for um beginners and that is the exposure triangle and sean mentioned something um mentioned a few of them maybe sean you can touch more on them when it comes to the exposure triangle yeah um so when you first take your camera uh you know do that brave move and and move it to manual uh, there's certain things you have to think about right and so in the exposure triangle if you think about triangle has three points um, and so the reason why they call it exposure triangle, cause there's three uh, points that you should be thinking about when it comes to exposing your image. And one of those things is the shutter speed. Uh, the other thing is your aperture and, uh, and the third is the ISO. And so moving any one of those, uh, things, um, changing the value, uh, will have an effect on whether it's going to overexpose your image or underexpose it. And uh, I think it's important to understand what each of those elements do. So. Um, I remember I, I took a picture, I had a picture up on my desk at, at work um, that I took and uh, my coworker asked me, I, how did you get the effect where the background is blurred out? All right. So now that's, that's an understanding of your aperture. Um, the, the higher you move up in the numbers, 
means the now you have to remind the higher you go in the numbers the smaller actually mm-hmm. um the opening is and of your aperture and the aperture mm-hmm. are those uh the blades of a lens that's allowing right the the light to come through to expose this image so so when you do that your image the higher you go up in those numbers your image is going to get darker but but what essentially the camera is trying to do is trying to get more of the scene in focus so if you're taking a picture of someone and just imagine they're standing in front of a brick wall um if you go up to something like say f8 or f11 uh, the brick wall behind that person will be more in focus. Now, if you take, if you have a particularly really good lens that allows you to go down to, let's say, 1.8, and you take that aperture down to 1.8, or even as you bring it to 4 to 2 to 1.8, if you were to do this and keep taking a picture every time that you're moving that aperture, making it wider, but you're making the numbers lower. I know when I first <laughs> heard about aperture, it took me a while to understand that. Um, but when you do that, the background is going to become more and more blurred out that, that brick wall, um, will, will become fuzzier. What also may become fuzzier is you notice like if you're focusing on the person's pupil on their eye, you might start to notice things like maybe their ear now is, is, is less, is, is less focused. And so these are things to think about. Um, so a lot of times when I'm shooting people, depending on a style now, right? Um, but if I'm shooting, uh, taking a photograph of a person and I want everything on them as much as I can to be in focus, I might go to something like uh, F4, an aperture of four. If I'm shooting a group, I might try and be at an aperture of anywhere from four to seven, right? Because I want to make sure that if there's certain people standing in front of another person, that the whole group is in focus. Um, so that's one part, one aspect of the, of the, uh, the triangle, the exposure triangle. I think the other two are a little bit easier to understand. So I started with the more complicated one. Um, for the shutter speed, uh, the shutter speed is, so as your shutter, the speed of your shutter slapping up and down um, as it's allowing light in, right, uh, to produce this image. Uh, the faster your shutter speed, the faster that mirror is going to move. And um, what happens there when you're moving it real fast, you're, you're, if you have a high shutter speed going up further, it makes the image darker. But a lot of times you will use a high shutter speed if you want to freeze action. So you have to keep that in mind about like, you know, is it a bright day outside? Is it is are you inside at a basketball game? You know, you might be able to only put your shutter speed up to a certain amount. Um, but that's shutter speed. And then ISO. Uh, ISO works the higher the number, um, the higher the number, the brighter your scene will be. The lower the number, the darker it will be. Uh, but the other thing with ISO is the higher you go up on that number, you're asking your camera to do more when it comes to uh, trying to produce this brighter image. It's using more of its software to uh, produce this image. And what happens, the uh, higher you go up, a lot of times you will start to introduce noise, right? And that's why a lot of modern cameras, one of the things that they tout and being very good at is being able to use a higher ISO number to actually take images in, in near dark scenes because you want to boost it. And I good scenario. Let's go back to the basketball game. So if you're at a basketball game, it's indoors. Yes, to the human eye, it might seem bright enough, but a lot of times on on these uh, cameras, um, is it will actually be kind of dull uh, or or dark in there, a dark scene. So you want you know you want a, a shutter speed that's fast enough to freeze the action, right? 
And you also know that there'll be a couple players on on the on the court. So you don't want to just have one of them in focus, but you want to probably have a group of them in focus. So you might do something like go up to um, a an aperture of let's just say five. An aperture, we'll say seven. That's safer. So you might choose an aperture of seven, but you might also choose an aperture of five because depending on the brightness of of that um, of the court, the indoor court. If it's not that bright in there, you want to bring that aperture down a little bit. So now you, you're setting your shutter speed. You probably want to be above 300 on a shutter speed because at 300, you're still going to see some motion blur. And you probably want that for style. But if you want to cut out as much of that as possible, you're going to want to probably be closer to like 400, something like that. And it also depends on what's happening on court. Um, but now if you're at that aperture and that shutter speed, I guarantee you, that you're going to have to now boost your ISO. You will not be shooting that scene at ISO 100 because it'll be dark. And so um, it depends on the camera, how far you can push the ISO. Uh, again, I shoot with a Nikon D7100. On my camera, I personally do not like going above 800. And that's just me. And that's 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 not just the gear, mm -hmm. but that's also my preference. I don't like going above 800. I if I have to push it in a dark scene, I will push it to a thousand. But at a thousand, because I like my images to be with as least amount of noise as possible, you know. And to me, I find 800 is is a good place to lay lay at. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks, Sean. I mean, thanks for really uh, explaining the basics of this uh, triangle, and you brought out really good points and. Um, and analogies to explain it and 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 one thing to also add in addition is that uh, like sean said these three basic elements the, that make up the exposure triangle they affect each other they rely heavily on each other you change one it will affect the other one so that's why when sean was using the example of the basketball game uh, you can't just increase one and then expect the image to be properly exposed you have to compensate it for uh, for the uh, exposure in maybe the iso or the shutter speed so it all depends on what you want to what kind of photo you want to take and you have to really think and and this is where a lot of people you know feel intimidated when it comes to shooting manual mode but by doing that you have complete control over the camera you you are in charge the camera is not thinking because if you put it in auto that it's going to be a hit or miss you'll go home frustrated you're going to pull up the images and you see that oh this could have been a great um you know shot but then it's dark it's underexposed or it's, or it's blown out and and so it's important to know the limitations of your camera uh, another good point sean brought out um you know cameras you know, you know they rely on technology they have sensors and sensors have limitations and uh, the ex good example was the iso um you know is the sensitivity of your sensor if if you it's like you know uh, tuning a radio you know you could tune a radio but if you turn the volume to the station too high you can hear a lot of hissing sounds so every camera have their limit and you have to know uh, there are certain cameras you know I, I know like you said he his is 800 uh, and I, I, I shoot with the 5d mark 3 and I can go once I go past 6400 ISO, I know it's gonna start looking grainy. So I don't. I try not to go beyond that. So you have to know the limitations of your camera. And um, that's a good point, Steve. Though um, 6500, right? Yeah, six, so, uh, 64. 6400. So the difference between your camera and my camera is that it's a full, it's a full frame, full right? Frame, yes. And so it, it, this has to do with uh, physical dimensions as well, right? Mine mm. being a crop sensor camera. So exactly. The opening is smaller. All right, less light. 
So um, in these on this crop set, these full frame cameras, they're able and they're, they're it's just a more powerful uh, software, uh, better sensor, and you're able to push the ISO a lot more. So mm -hmm. it depends on the camera. That's why I was saying on my camera specifically, right? And like you said with yours, that was a really good point to bring up. Yeah, yeah. So you know, like the sensor, you have different, you know, you have different sizes. You know, you have uh, again, there's uh, you have a APS-C. Uh, which is very popular. It's kind of like in the middle. You have, and then be, below that is micro four thirds. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I think there's even one below micro four thirds. I have to look into that. But then uh, you have uh, micro four thirds, APS-C, mm -hmm. you have full frame. Now you have medium formats. That's right. And, you know, so, and, and again, like you said, photography is all about playing with light. If you know how to use light, shape light, you can get amazing results. So, um, you know, the sensor size also applies um, like i use fuji but you know some of the aps-c cameras are getting good like they fuji are. i can push it to close to 64 and sometimes i could get reasonable and but i try to stay between 30 3200 okay yeah i don't try to go above that uh but uh, like you said there's a lot of ways you can compensate for it you know you have the aperture which are the you know if you ever look in the lens they have blades in the lens and they open the apertures like your iris you know i you know your iris will contract or you know open up depending on the if there's you no know, if, if somebody if you're in a dark room and somebody flips the light quickly your your aperture will contract it will close a little bit so the light doesn't hurt your eyes and it's the same thing with the lens too you can control the aperture and make it sm smaller or bigger and one of the best ways to see look at it is with the manual lens you can literally change them you can see the blades close and open up and that's a way of controlling light and then the shutter speed i always look at the shutter speed as a you know, uh, opening a window, you know, you open it, if you could open and close the window really fast, it's the same thing. The shutter speed opens up and closes really fast. You can make it very fast or very slow. It all depends on what kind of scene you're trying to shoot. Mm -hmm. um, so it's important to get familiar with the exposure triangle and in doing so, know the limitation um, of your camera and also your lens. Yeah. Yes. Right. Some lenses, um, yeah, they, they don't do well in low light. Others do well in low light. That's another thing. Uh, so the the lens, I think it took. So when you get an understanding of aperture, and you see some of these more expensive lenses, uh, you see like uh, some of these expensive lenses. Now, if you're talking about full frame, uh, they they will have be a lot of two point eight, right? Uh, f two point eight. That's the aperture rating. That's mm -hmm. saying that that lens can uh, get really bright. I guess is a term. There's, mm -hmm. there's a term that's called. Uh, is it? How is it? Sharp. Yep. Um, or is it is the it maximum bright? aperture? Fast, yeah, fast, 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 lens, fast, yeah, fast glass. Yeah. <laughs> so there's there's this term called fast glass, and and uh, fast glass is typically, I think it's typically considered to be uh, two uh, aperture two and below. Yeah, two and below. Usually anything two and below are fast, okay. fast lenses. Um, uh, I mean they they are fast. They do focus very fast, and they are sharper. That's right. And most of them are uh, usually uh, end up being prime lenses. Okay. And when we talk about prime, we're going to talk more into that with other episodes. But prime lenses are basically lenses that have a fixed focal length. So 50 millimeter, 35 millimeter, they, they don't zoom. There's no zoom. They just fixed. And typically those lenses are mm -hmm. pretty fast. So when it comes to like um, still improving the man, I know like in one, of, one of the points that we wanted to talk about was like knowing the limits of, of the software that you're using to edit an image as well. Mm -hmm. um, before getting to that point, though, uh, I wanted to, I was wanted to see if we could like talk about like the basic posing you know because since mm -hmm. we're still talking about like shooting an, an image and, mm -hmm. and capturing that picture exactly um i one of the things that 
I know I need to get better at. I'm still working on this. <laughs> and I think most photographers uh, will have to work on this. Um, every photographer will have to work on this. Is getting your subject uh, to look natural, right? To feel comfortable in front of the uh, camera mm-hmm. and to get them in some, uh, you know, poses that they will love. You know, it, I think it takes an understanding of of the body and, and, and what the camera, do, you know, what the camera mm-hmm. can do depending on, on what lens you're using a, uh, a wider lens. A lot of times, right. They say a shorter, a, sh- a wider lens, meaning something like a, um, so your average kit lens is 18 to 55. And if you're, if you're shooting at 18, um, so those are pretty, that's a pretty wide, what they call a pretty, like you're capturing a lot of the scene mm-hmm. and, Whatever body part of the person is closest to the lens will be accentuated. It'll 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 look bigger. Exactly. So if you don't want your subject to uh, feel fat, <laughs> there's supposed to be certain yeah. poses, right, and certain ways that you're supposed to capture that scene. So I think it's important to learn that. Yes, uh, and that's a good point when it comes to, especially when you're when you're doing portraiture. Uh, posing is is one of those ongoing you never finish i mean there are times and it's it can be challenging there are times where i'm doing a photo session and i will hit like uh you know the ceiling i'm like okay now what can i get them to do and it, it can you need to be creative and and the thing is that people are looking at you yes the, the, your client is looking at you like you have to pose me and so you have to come out with creative ways you have to if you can get the, your client to be comfortable they can actually end up you know, even implementing other poses themselves. You know, you don't have to tell them what to do sometimes. Yeah, it's about, it's about getting them to be comfortable, explaining the entire session to them, um, what, what you're going to get out of it and what they can do. And it doesn't have to be anything drastic. It could be little changes, you know, in, in the same pose or the same, you know, position. And then it will create a different kind of look. And and so posing is very important, learning the basics. Uh, like you said, you never want to use a wide angle on... Uh, Portrait. There, there, are, there are ways to to uh, actually uh, bend the rules. Depends yes. on if you're trying to be creative. I remember I took a shot where my cousin got engaged. So, like Sean said, usually wide angle. The closer you bring it to an object, the more it exaggerates the size. So, but in this this time they were engaged, and mm-hmm. I wanted them to show off their ring. So they basically, you know, they they had them extend their. Um, actually, yeah, both of them extended their. She she held her hand, and they both extended. Um, extended her, 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 um, their arm and towards the camera, and it exaggerated the you know their arm, but mostly was the ring. Right. While they became smaller in the back, you know, but I wanted the viewer to focus on the on the ring. So it, it depends on what you want to do and how creative. But normally, if you with wide angle, if you get them in the center, mm-hmm. you are pretty safe. Yes, <laughs> but don't get them to the edge. Please don't do that. I mean, you your clients will hate you for that. It's very true. Um, yeah, I had a I had a group I had a group scene and of course I needed I needed a, a wider lens right to get mm-hmm. the whole take the whole group in, um, and also I did not have a lot of sidewalk space because mm-hmm. we were sh- shooting on the street, mm-hmm. um, didn't have a whole lot of uh, space to back up and so I, I used a wider um, lens, but some of the family ended up uh, they were sitting in different positions on the, on these steps mm-hmm. and some of the family ended up towards the edge of the, of the scene which is really bad. On, on a wide angle because mm-hmm. anything yeah. on the side it just gets bigger and stretched out 
and it, it just it I couldn't use that. I could not use that image. Yeah, yeah I've, I've, we've all we've all made that mistake. Accident photographer. We've all like, oh man, this I can use this wide angle and I can capture, you know, especially the ultra wide. Please don't do that. Uh, the you know those ten millimeter to eighteen and not. Uh, please don't do that. You you they're gonna hate you. They're gonna because already people always have this idea that the the camera adds a little bit of. A few pounds. That's right. So you use a wide angle. Yes, uh, it's gonna be bad. There are certain lenses that you can use for portraiture that don't uh, distort people's uh, shape, and it makes them actually look good. A uh, good one is um, a popular one is the uh, eighty-five. That's right. Eighty-five focal length. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. good. Uh, I uh, seventy to two hundred. Right. Uh, those are basically. Uh, two of my um, you can also use the 50 mm-hmm. and, and um, you have to be careful with the 50 a little bit um, but and also the 35 right 35 those are excellent um, now the other thing to understand is since we're talking about lenses and we're talking about the um, uh, th- these how these lenses are rated 50 50 millimeter uh, 85 um, understand that if you're using a crop sensor that and this this took me a while to understand if you're using a crop sensor, those fit that 35 millimeter lens is not 35 millimeters exactly. on, on the crop sensor. Exactly. Right? So, Stephen is correct. You have to be careful with a 50 millimeter. But if you're using a crop sensor, you actually have a little bit more leeway because a crop exactly. sensor uh, now becomes a lot closer to like that 80 millimeter, um, just because you have to multiply um, the size of your sensor against the um, the uh, the rating of that lens. Exactly. And, and it's a good point, Sean, because again, um, think about, we told you about sensor sizes. Mm-hmm. And when you think about, think about um, a 35 millimeter, like a film, you know, film are usually, you know, films are usually 35 millimeters. So think about taking that 35 millimeter and shrinking it down to um, uh, an APS-C size, right? And you're taking the same scene, okay, but you, it's now going to be shrunk to a smaller size that person whatever that scene is going to be cropped in and when you crop into something it always gets bigger that's right so there's a crop factor so every camera has a crop factor um uh, fuji has i think is a 1.5 canon has a i think a 1.67 i i don't know i'm not sure about nikon nikon is 1.5 1.52 yeah. yes you see so you have to be they're taking to, uh, that into consideration so like a 50 millimeter can actually get you close to a 80. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know that's and that's one of the ways you can, you can uh, when you have an APS-C. Some of the advantages too. You don't have to go and buy the expensive maybe 85 where you can get a 50. That's a good lens and it will get you just about the same result. So something to think about. And it's the same thing with capturing like let's say using a wide angle lens. You might think you you bought a 50. Uh, no, a, a 10 millimeter and it's really not a 10 millimeter on an APS-C. Right. It's actually you know. Uh, narrower than that you know so it's something to to think about i want to ask you uh, on when it comes to posing like what did you what did you do to get better at posing or to you know to continue to work on posing posing was one of the toughest now i have to admit i mean i still struggle with it because sometimes you get too comfortable with the same Mm -hmm. posing and you have to get creative so um it was one of those things that was quite difficult for me, but I, I learned some basic rules, like you said. Um, you have to learn how to pose. Um, you have to learn, you know, look at the human body. Uh, you know, study the human body. We have, you know, we have different shapes and sizes, and then get to know, um, you know, your clients. You know, and, and you know, because some of them might feel intimidated. They don't want uh, to to their photos taken, or they feel they may look big. So you have to find out what exactly that does your client want. 
Mm-hmm. Um, do, will they feel they're going to get big in the picture? Um, you know, so once you get all that information, um, it will help you to know there are certain basic um, rules that when you follow, it helps. Um, did you for, look online? For those yeah, I did. I did look online. I did okay. follow some tutorials. And um, for example, you know, most most women, for example, if you uh, if, if you ever watch a woman who is working out and yeah. they take a picture or you watch some of the ads on TV um, where they're talking, uh, they're showing the before and after, typically you don't see them standing facing the camera like, you know, f- you know, direct, you know, uh, directly facing the camera. They tend sideways a little bit. So when you tilt your body a little bit, it kind of hides. It makes you look slimmer. Mm. So, you know, sometimes they'll, they'll tilt their body a little bit. And that's one of the ways of making someone look slimmer. Uh, sometimes when somebody has, you know, they are, they are bigger. So sometimes too, you may want to shoot from above. Got it. You know, we shoot from above, then what it does is the rest of the body becomes um, smaller because now you're focusing more on their facial expression mm-hmm. and their upper body. And that it goes, hides. That goes to what we were talking about with the yeah, lens, right? The lens, what's, yeah. what's closer to the lens appears bigger, what's further away is exactly. smaller. Yeah, I, I get it. It hides, yeah. And then sometimes someone will say, oh, my arms are bigger and... And you know, so you may want you want to make sure that you you have to be creative to to kind of hide those features. And and I always tell my clients, don't be afraid between the and you know my clients and I don't be afraid to tell me or show me your best side. Yeah. What's your best side? What's the side you want to really show? And you, you can see that when women, especially women, when they're taking um, selfies, you watch watch a woman take a selfie and you they notice, know. yeah, they know their best side. I mean, they. <laughs> They, they, will, they will turn a certain way because that's the best side and they, that's where they always take their selfies. So I would say, don't be afraid. Show me your best side and we'll focus on that. So, uh, But don't be afraid to experiment. Don't be afraid to experiment and, um, you know, and, and just get creative. Don't stick to the too much of the basics. The basics at some point will take you so much. But learn to, you know, get creative and find out, you know, just talk with your client, get to know your clients and you'll be able to figure out. You know, you know what I've done... Um, and the more you do this, the less you have to do what I've done. So, <laughs> so what I what I did was um, I went on Pinterest, you know, mm-hmm. and I, and I looked at like a lot of um, images, just try to get like if I know I'm going to shoot like a graduation, uh, someone who having graduation photos taken, then I look at a lot of graduation photos mm-hmm. and I try and look at what poses mm-hmm. uh, that photographer put them in and which ones I like. Or if you're doing couples, I look for a lot of couple shots. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when you do those searches, uh, Pinterest will often give you uh, uh, guides, right? So it's not like real. Sometimes it, it is real photos. And other times they're like cartoon drawings of how people should be posed. And what I've done is I've to make it quicker because I, I said to myself, OK, when I'm in the middle of shooting someone, I, I can't really have this on my phone and look at it and still give them the attention they need. So I've done where i've done it where i've uh drawn out these poses that i want in a book all right okay. i have like a book and it's like you know it's quicker for me to flip to it now i'm saying you will do this less the more you work with these poses but the book helped me because i wasn't waiting for my phone to turn on unlock the screen and you know scroll to the the image that i wanted but i had it very quickly in the book not you know quick drawing even stick figure, but just to help me remember, you know, what pose do I want to put this in? Because a lot of times when you're in the middle of shooting, there's so many things going on at once. You're not going to remember, you know, oh, this was the pose mm-hmm. that I wanted to use. Um, the other thing that I did was, 
there was one I wish I remember the photographer's name. Um, but it was a lady, and she mentioned. Um, was it Lindsay? Lindsay Adler? Was it Lindsay? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, she's uh, associated with Adorama, I think. Oh, okay, I don't think I. Okay, but she was talking about posing, uh, especially for women, and she mentioned the the reason why a lot of pictures you'll see someone either has their hands in their pocket, thumbs out. Or even if their hand is not in their pocket, their hand is around where the pocket would be. Mm-hmm. And it's it's trying to create this cur- natural curvature of the body, having them put their weight on a back leg. Mm-hmm. So even if I can't think of, well, what pose do I want next? She says this is a great um, base pose, right? Just if you have the person put one foot slightly in front of the other, Put the weight, yeah. Put the weight on the back foot. It shifts the body in a way where it's more flattering. You were talking about, like, you know, standing to the side, that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. it, it naturally does that, you know, for the person. And then with them keeping their arms or their hands close to where their pockets would be, like, say, if they're wearing a dress, right? They might even put their hands on their upper thigh. The reason why they do that is it opens up the, separates the arm from the body. And it also helps to create that more um, hourglass, right? Exactly. Um, um, look, and so those that was a base. That's a base rule for a lot of your poses. So whatever you try, wherever you're trying to put this person, just remember, um, as Stevens brought out, even mm-hmm. no less straight on to the camera, and keep, try and get the arm away from the body, and it just helps uh, with, with a good look. Yeah, that's a that's a good good basic rule. Um, um, I also I use that a lot because mm-hmm. if you can, especially with women, you um, you know, a, a woman um, they they look more flattering in the photo when when um, you're able to see the um, uh, excuse me for the word curves. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you don't want to tell your client that, but. But you want to direct them in the ways that when they move, they put their hand, like I said, on their body. It shows that sh- that hourglass, and it makes more natural rather than standing. Then they look that's flat. Right. That's right. It's not flattering at all, you know. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, and I, I actually, uh, and also um, I, another thing that I learned is if you are running out of ideas, basically there are other. Um, I think it's like three, three, three or four things you can do. Um, first one is have them. Pose with, um, you know, in, in three categories: standing. You can have them sit. You can have them lie. And what was the other one? Um, standing, sit, lie. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, you can, you can have them do that. And then in those three categories, all they have to do is do different uh, changes, mm-hmm. and that will open up a whole world, you know. And and one thing I was one mistake I was doing, I was going on uh, Pinterest too, and I was trying to memorize all these poses and. I was getting overwhelmed. Like, I, there is no way. So, try not to. If you remember these basic things that we talk about, it will help you to be able to come up with your own unique, you know, unique way of posing. And um, that's right. Yeah, and there be a, there are a lot of basic things, you know, such as you know, for example, sometimes some we see women that will put their hand on their face and they'll cover mm. part of their a big portion of their jawline. Let them rather instead of covering that part of their jawline or a big portion of it, have them rather slowly kind of like. Um, actually, like uh, it's like they are wiping their jawline like slightly, and that kind of like doesn't cover it. And while they're doing that, you you're taking the photo. And so there are many, 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 many ways. But try not to memorize. Don't get in the trap of trying to memorize. Um, 
you know pauses you you are gonna get overwhelmed <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah so um so now that brings us to uh, another portion that is capturing the scene and that uh basically it talks about it has to do with composition mm-hmm. uh and when it comes to composition i think um it's one of those you will never finish you never graduate from composition. It's and I think is uh, when it comes to photography, that's I think is one of the most important rules. Anybody can master exposure and that's right. the technical side, but composition is what separates. You know, composition and using light, but that will really separate you from the pack. You know, how do you take a, an ordinary scene and you know. Uh, and make it, you know, where your your viewer will look at it and go, wow, this is amazing. Uh, composition is an ongoing thing that everybody has to learn. Um, and I know there are certain basic rules that you can follow. Um, uh, when it comes to rule of thirds, uh, Sean, will you, do you tend to use that a lot? Um, I think I tend to, I do tend to think about it a lot. Now, I don't know if I tend to. So I use it in a sense that I, I do keep it in mind, right? And so, like, when you're, when you're looking in the viewfinder of the camera, it is, it's, it is seems that these cameras, they're set up to keep you with that rule in mind because of how the focus points are set up. They're naturally set along the lines of the rule of thirds. And um, I do I do think about it. And I, and I, and I, I break it a lot, too. <laughs> um, there are reasons to break that rule. I was uh, listening to, I was watching a, um, a video um, about someone explaining the rule of thirds. And they were talking about why you'd want to break it, and and so the rule of thirds. Well, first, I guess explain explain yes, the yes, rule of yeah. thirds. Yeah, please explain it to the, yeah, explain the rule of thirds. <laughs> so the rule of thirds is is uh it's where you're placing an image. I think Steve, maybe you can explain this better than me because I, I know that there are lines. They're they're like a ima- if you look at a scene, it's almost a if you think of imaginary lines. But but how would you explain it? Yeah, so uh, you know uh, from based on my research and uh, they they used to have um, you know really um, a, a talented artist and mm-hmm. you know they you know they really were able to create images that were very impressive. But then people were trying to imitate that. Okay. And people were and 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 some realized that um, if they shifted there's the math to it i'm not i'm not good in math so i'm not going to touch on that but if they basically take the image off center um uh, because they did this uh, uh, study and they found out that most of the images that were taken off center uh, were more appealing to the eye right versus something that's dead center right so most you know and so some of the artists were you know started making images where they would draw stuff and put stuff off center and it was more appealing to the eye so that's how they came out with this uh, rule of third basically and it's more naturally when we pick our cameras and we're taking say a photo of a flower the first thing we're going to do is center the flower in the frame like center it and snap but if you shift it just a little bit to the to the off center it's it's more pleasing mm-hmm. and like i said there's a mathematical aspect to it right. uh, where they found out that for every i mean they had this um uh, ratio for every a certain amount right. it, it looks more pleasing to the eyes but basically just shift the image off center and it's 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 much better and and it, it, it kind of like semi similar to some of these at uh, talented um artists in the past that's how they basically uh drew some of their photos they, they most oh. of them used the rule of thirds you taught me something 
<laughs> See, I I didn't know I didn't know that's that's um where it came from. Uh, what what I what I remember of the rule of thirds is that so it's like if you're looking at a canvas, I'll I'll take it as you say it came from these artists. If you're looking at a canvas, and if this is your scene, you break that canvas um, vertically into uh, three quadrants, three quadrants, right, yeah. and and also horizontally. So so you have uh, two two lines. Going across your scene um, vertically and also uh, horizontally. Horizontally, yes. And, and so and so you're you're making uh, overall nine boxes, right, on your scene. And where those lines intersect, the rule of thirds says if you place your subject at those intersecting points of those lines, um, that's that's what is going to help make this scene. Um, interesting. Right? Exactly, exactly. And 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 that's uh, I forgot to bring that out. That's that's um, when we were doing that mathematical, um, you know, uh, say algorithm, whatever it is. That's how they found it. They found out that when those you draw like, and it doesn't have to be. Uh, it can be more than um, three lines. It can be. You can have as many lines as possible. But so far as for every. Uh, um, I think it's a third line, or, or wherever those lines inter like yeah. intersect. Mm -hmm. If you play, like if you place the object right there, it look right. it always gonna look um, nice. It was, right. and, and and they did a study and they found out that most pictures that were placed on those points were pleasing to the eyes. Yeah. And so they were like, ah, oh, this is a perfect rule to follow, and you know, it became this big thing. And then some of them, if you watch even some um, some of the movies, a lot of some of the directors use rule of thirds. There are some directors out there that are known for That's right. using rule of thirds in their movies. So it, it's, it, it can be a powerful, it's one of the basic composition. It is. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I, think it's, I think it's the most popular rule. I mean, there, there are other rules as far as how to um, set up a composition on the image, but I think a lot of photographers start with the rule of thirds because it's the easiest one to start with. And it's easy to uh, picture your scene being uh, broken up that way. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other thing it does, I think it does for the eye, is that if you do see a person off-centered, um, you know, in a photo, it it's almost as if you're more curious about the scene, right? Because uh, you you're not just seeing this face, you know, just in the smack dab in the middle of the image. Um, and it, it almost makes the rest of the photo less important. But when it's off to the side a little bit and maybe you're able to see a little bit more of the background in, in that part of the image where this person's face isn't I think it makes it brings the viewer into the image a little bit more because you're kind of more curious about I wonder what's going on in that room or I wonder um, another part of that rule is the rule they say that you typically should have a person peering into that open space right so if, so if the person were not looking directly at the camera um, but they were they should be facing if they were looking at something else in the room they should be facing into the photo right not off to the edge off to the side looking at something that's um not there right exactly yeah, yeah exactly you don't want to give them uh, what we you know for example a person is staring behind their back and and you have them close to the edge mm -hmm. of the frame you need to give them room, That's you know. Right. So that that rule of thirds, and and it, it it also one thing I like about it is because it it brings about other um, other rules too when it comes to composition, like giving the person room. You know, sometimes you have to give room to the to the um, your subject, mm -hmm. and it it kind of makes the um, 
viewer curious it's it, it shows it gives them it, it, it adds some sort of breathing room you know the viewer doesn't feel confined right. to what they're looking at so that's one of the rules too when it comes to composition and also using lines um that's yeah. another thing too i yeah, i use that a lot i'm yeah. i'm i'm big on lines <laughs> i'm always looking for lines because the human eye gets attracted to things that are symmetrical so right. if you can get use lines uh whether it's in a, it's a fence it's uh uh, maybe some, you know, a road marking, whatever it is, a wall. Mm-hmm. Lines really draw the eye, and it, you could use lines to lead the eye into something, right. you know. So uh, use lines too. That's one of the basics when it comes to composition. And when it comes to using lines, that's one of the reasons why I'm shooting on um, railroad tracks is so popular, right? Yes. Even though it's illegal and you're not supposed to do, it. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, it's 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 popular because it's the easiest way to incorporate lines in an image. You know, if someone is standing on the tracks, their eyes naturally follow the tracks to your subject. Um, so like lines are really good. Lines are something that I really want to use more of. Yes. Um, I don't. I don't. I I tend when I get into shooting, I I don't think about lines as much. Um, but I love it when I do think about lines and, and I incorporate it. It does make a, a great composition. There, there's one one other thing that I'm working on is, uh, and I don't, I don't know if there's a rule to it, um, but when it comes to composing, I'm trying to, in my photography more and more, I'm trying to think about um, an interesting scene, right? So not just not just the uh, your, your subject, if it's, you know, say I'm taking a picture of my kids. I like having the scene being layered. So we went to the beach and I had some of my kids were playing in the foreground while I had um, more of my kids playing in the background. Mm-hmm. And and I like I like to take a scene where even though I want to capture one, I still want the other one who's no part of that scene or no part of the uh, the subject still in the background, you know. And so I, I took this this shot where I had, uh, I think it was one or two of my kids. So I have four kids. I, I think we mentioned this before. <laughs> so I, I, I know so, some people yeah. listening to this might wonder, how many kids does he have to work with? <laughs> but uh, I had, I think, two of my kids in the foreground, and I had um, another one running in the background. And I feel like when you layer an image like that, it, it gives the eye more things to look at, and, and it makes it more um, interesting. Yes, it's it's a good... That rule is actually used in... Um, um, you can use it in portrait or whatever, but it's also used heavily in, in landscape. Okay. Where in landscape, you are focusing on the foreground, the midground, and the background. So you're always going to put something, you know, the mo- your most interesting stuff, you put it in, you know, make sure it's in the foreground. Then you want something in the middle that mm-hmm. adds some, you know, interest to the photo and then also the background. So that was like similar to yours where you That's wanted true. to take a photo of your daughter, mm-hmm. but then you wanted the others two in the background so it's kind of like focusing on the foreground uh, a little bit of the mid and then the back so uh, yeah it's it's also um uh, part of uh, composition but like i said composition is something you never you would never finish because you're going to encounter challenging situations and you have to learn to how can i make the photo look appealing to the eye you know it could be a photo taking a photo right in front of your porch you know your front porch you know, and people like they, they would think you went to some some exotic place. No, but it's right in front of your front door. So composition plays a vital role. Steve, I wonder if you agree with this. Um, you can learn the exposure triangle. You can learn how to work with your camera. Um, and no matter what camera you're shooting with, um, if you learn composition, 
I think it's one of the more powerful things to getting a really beautiful image. I hundred percent agree with you. Yeah. You'd be surprised. You go on Instagram, you see people use phones. I mean, camera phones to take photos that are impressive, and you are how? What kind of camera do you? And, he's, and then they tell you, oh, it's my iPhone or my Android, and right. but it's what made it attractive was the composition. That's you right. have to. And, and 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 the thing about composition is and, and that's what makes photography um interesting is that when people start with photography people try to imitate somebody uh maybe follow their style nothing wrong with that you could be inspired but always remember photography is subjective so if you think of you being the artist and trying to make your scene unique you don't have to always follow the rules they, they help they are guides but if you are able to make your scene unique Nothing will hold you back. And that's something that held me back for a long time when I started. I was always like, I need to follow the rule of thirds. I need to follow the way this person shot. You know, this person always shoots a scene. And I was always trying to imitate these particular, you know, uh, talented photographers out there. But it was holding me back until I realized it is subjective. Be who you are. Be creative. Break the rules. You don't always have to follow the rule of thirds. Some some things just make sense to put them in the center. That's right. You know, you could put somebody in the center. You could put a lonely girl in the center to to maybe convey the idea of a girl who is um, not happy or sad. You know, you, you don't have to always follow the rule of thirds. So you are your own artist. You want to convey a scene to the, the viewer. So don't always feel you have to follow a certain rule. Very good point. Okay, so, so that will bring us to another important aspect when it comes to the basics of photography, and that is software. Uh, there are so many editing softwares out there. Last uh, episode, we, talk, we, we touched on Adobe, which is like the, you know, the giant when it comes to the market share with the software. But there are so many out there, and it's important. It doesn't matter what you use. Um, Adobe, Lightroom, Luminar, Infinity Photo... Uh, exposure, um, whatever it is that you use, um, just get to know your software very well. You will be, do a better job when you know your software very well and the limitation. I'm sure, uh, Sean, you agree with me on that. Yeah, I agree. And since, and I think, at least for this particular show, since there's so many um, different software out there that you can use, we're not going to get into the details of, of exactly you know what this control does versus that because... You know they're 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 made different, right? The software is made different. Now they do the same basic thing, of course, editing your photo. Um, you will have the exposure controls. Just get used to that, and and then the curves. Uh, get used to that. I think I think in whatever software you use, if you um, I say just start by moving the dials. You know, yes. At, see what it does and see what it makes the image look like, and um, that's that's the basic. You know, start there and see if you create something that you like. If you don't. Undo, start again. That's a great thing about exactly. <laughs> yeah, so just get to know. I mean, some and every software has some softwares work well with certain cameras. Some don't. Some of them are good and because basically so the softwares are uh, yeah, basically um, uh, raw processes. I mean, they take your raw files and then they um, uh, you know they convert them into the best you know viewable image, and you have to edit it. So just get. Take the time, get to know your software very well, play with the sliders. I like to always exaggerate my sliders. Mm -hmm. Then I know what it's actually doing to the image and then I slowly dial it down. So get to know your software. But we're going to touch more on um, on software. Uh, we're going to pick some of them one at a time in, in, in later episodes and touch more about it. But one thing also I forgot that we, we I wanted to touch on, uh, Sean, is is um, when when people start photography, they, they always tend to shoot in JPEG. Oh, um, true. 
what do you think? Would you think they should go straight to raw or JPEG? Um, and basically, maybe you should explain the difference between raw and JPEG. Okay. Um, yeah, so a JPEG file is a file. So when we talk about these cameras have software built into them. And a JPEG file is asking the camera to um, apply more, uh, to, compre- to apply more of that software. Uh, eh, I don't want to explain it. These JPEG files are smaller, right? Mm-hmm. They're smaller. It's, it's about size. And a lot of times you're going to have a, l- a little bit more of the algorithms of the camera that's going into that JPEG to compress that file. And so since it's compressed, you don't have much room for editing. So a raw file is a bigger file, means that it has much more information in that file. And so if you underexpose an image, you have more room to bring that exposure up when you finally get into the software. Um, and now as far as your question of what do I, what would I tell someone who's starting to shoot? Should they shoot JPEGs or raw? Um, I don't know. I think it's subjective. You know, I, I think um, if you feel like you're, um, if you, it, it depends. And it, even if you're a professional, it depends, right? Um, because a lot of uh, a lot of people, if they know that their image is going to only be but so big, they're not going to blow it up. It's going to be um, maybe featured in a newspaper. Uh, they'll shoot JPEG, you know, because they know that they're not going to do that much editing of the file. Now, if you're, I would say if you're shooting a wedding, if you're going to shoot a portrait, um, I I would shoot raw because then I want all this the, the the space in the world, all the information to move those sliders as much as I want to without degrading that image. Yes, I agree with you. It's, it's um you know most people will start with JPEG. You know, like I said, JPEG is like what we see on the the photos. It's basically, it's the end product. It's JPEG. JPEG is the end product. But uh, like you said, JPEG is, is is locked, so you you have very little room for editing. Like. If you expose for this, you know, you could push the file so much. But raw is like, you know, think about raw material, you know, like a diamond, you know, that has been just mined. You could do so much to it. Mm-hmm. But once that diamond has been shaped and it's been put in the store, there's very little you can do to that diamond. Right. You know, so it's JPEG is like that. So um, it depends on your assignments. Some assignments, uh, like you said, it's there's no need to do a lot of editing to it. For example, if you do something like um, real estate. Mm-hmm. They want their images right up, you know, they want to upload it. They don't have time for you to edit and make all this many, you know, you don't have to put a lot into editing. They just want the photos. So it's the same with, um, you know, somebody can easily shoot JPEG with that versus so like it's a wedding mm-hmm. where, you know, it's a lifetime thing. You better, <laughs> you better, you know, have room for error. And that's, that's where raw will save you. But most people, I always encourage people. You know, uh, start with raw. Uh, you learn to process your images well. It teach you about editing, and and uh, it gives you a little lee room, you know, um, or leeway for error. Because JPEG, you better make sure you are exposing well, because uh, you have very little room. But a lot is changing nowadays with the new cameras. Now, some of them are the JPEGs are files are very good, and you don't need. Sometimes you don't need to shoot with raw. So. Like I said, it's subjective also. That's right. But uh, that's something that you want to look into. Eventually, you want to go into that camera and change it from JPEG, you know, which is the default in most cases, mm-hmm. to RAW. And um, and then, you know, have fun with uh, processing the RAW files. Um, so I think um, that will uh, bring the end of, uh, end of our show today. Uh, I'd like to thank Sean for taking the time 
I know he has a long drive home, but <laughs> at least he made it. He, he, you know, took the time and he came here, and we we're able to put together this uh, podcast that touch on uh, the basics um, of uh, photography. So, thank you for tuning in, uh, Sean. If we have to, uh, somebody has, uh, is looking for you. Where where can they find you? Uh, so you can find me at uh, teamhallphoto.com, uh, and you can also find me at uh, on Instagram at teamhallphoto. Okay, good, good. So please follow him. Sean has some excellent photos out there. Um, and I like his blog too. And uh, for me, you can find me at uh, capturedbysteven.com and uh, Instagram, capturedbysteven underscore photography. And you can find me on Facebook, but uh, like I always said, I'm very active on Instagram. Um, so, uh, yes, feel free to follow us and um, on those platforms and enjoy some of our photos. And uh, feel free to also uh, uh, tune in and subscribe to our podcast. Uh, we're going to have a lot of, a ton of uh, great content to come uh, in the near future.